Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Big Sister Hotline is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. The Hotline is proud to be an ongoing supporter of JIRA, an Aboriginal-controlled community organisation where culture is shared and celebrated. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal and Black Lives Matter. Big Sister Hotline, how can we help? Hello, dear listeners, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. You're listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny, and feminist advice on life, love, and whether or not you should break up with your no-good Nick boyfriend. What's the spoiler? The spoiler is that we know the answer is always yes. My guest this week is a writer and media graduate who, at the age of 27, already has an impressive resume under her belt. She's the founder of women's networking group My Go-To Gal, where women can connect and make new gal pals, and also the founder of Pretty Little Pink Book, which is an event styling, planning and management business. Born and raised in Melbourne, she has a cultural background of Vietnamese, and her writing and activism is informed by the experiences she has as an Asian Australian woman. She is Alyssa Ho. Alyssa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. How are you going on this beautiful spring day? I'm actually feeling really good. You know, the pandemic has been hard to work through um, and I think everyone's feeling that, but I'm just allowing myself to feel all the emotions and, yeah, getting through it day by day. Mm. Um, As an event styler, you've definitely been hit harder than a lot of people because no events, no styling. So what have you been doing to not just fill the time but I guess maintain that? I mean, as an event styler, you're an artist so there's, there's a feeding of the soul that comes from the work that you do. So what have you been doing to, I guess, maintain that enrichment of your soul? Yeah, um, I've been using this time to upskill because for me, the event styling was quite new. It's about a year old and it was a creative outlet around my full-time work and it's something that through my go-to gal, I realised that I was really passionate about and not having that now and feeling like I'm just confined to my house and I don't have something to work on. Um, it's just given me the chance to find other ways to be creative, I guess. Yeah, I'm just using this time to, I guess, find myself as an event stylist. It is a very, um, you know, saturated industry. There are so many people who are doing so well in it. So I think it is very easy to feel that you're not doing enough or that you're not enough or that you're not producing your best work. So for me, it's just using this time to find myself in that regard and just work on a lot of things because I feel like I just jumped straight into it. There were so many things that I didn't know. I don't have a background in event styling. It's just something that I ran with because I felt that I was being drawn to it. So this is my opportunity to learn a little bit more and use this time to practice a lot of skills. Mm. I think that that's a common problem for a lot of people. Uh, I certainly feel those same things, that that sense of wanting to learn something and wanting to upskill and constantly being busy but feeling like you're not doing enough. Do you feel like you struggle with that, that kind of the battle almost with yourself that, you know, this constant productivity that how do you you create that balance? Because I struggle. I don't know how to do it. Yeah. I think for me I always thought – you always need to keep yourself busy 
you know, being productive is always having something to do. But then I realised that I was being so worn out and I wasn't looking after myself. I wasn't giving myself the chance to rest and take a break. And because of that, it meant that I wasn't being able to do as much work. So I think for me, getting to that point of feeling so burnt out, I realised that we need to to rest we need to relax every now and then because if we don't then we're not we're not going to be able to show up to the world so I think making time for yourself is just as important as being busy you know it plays a part in being able to do the things that you love. There are a lot of people out there who have dreams and ambitions but uh, either don't know where to start or can be kind of um, overwhelmed I suppose by the idea that that's not for them. You know, as you said, you didn't, you hadn't worked in event styling before and yet you're the kind of person who was like, I'm going to make that happen for me. What, given this is a, a, essentially an advice podcast for younger women or for, for the concept of the little sister, you know, like learning from other people's experiences, what would you say is the first thing that people should do if they have those big ideas, but they think that their place, that's not their place? Honestly, just go for it. And I think for me, that's what I've done. If I've ever been curious about something or I think, okay, I think I could do that or I'm interested in that, I just give it a go even if I don't have the experience because I honestly don't want to go through life wondering what if. I think that if you are drawn to something, in a way it's not just so much you wanting to pursue it. It's like it's asking for you to go after it. It's calling out to you and you just don't want to let that moment go. For me, I think that we should be multi-passionate and we have to embrace that. You don't always have to know everything. I just think that you can learn things along the way, which is what I've done. And it may not be for you and you may change the course every now and then and that's okay. But for me, I think you go into life and you go after things. You just run after it as passionately as possible. And if it doesn't work out, then that's okay. But I think confining ourselves to just doing one thing and being one thing, it's very limiting. Like you can do so many different things. I write, I run a women's group, I style events. And I've had people ask me before if I feel that maybe I do so many things because I can't just commit to one thing. And I don't know. I don't think that that's the case. I think that we should be allowed to kind of do whatever we want to do in life. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I would never have – that would never have been a go-to question, I suppose, because I do multiple things as well. It's never yeah. it's never felt to me like it's a lack of commitment. It's, it's actually passion for so many different things and a desire to kind of, I guess – experience and and try so many different things one of the things that um I had Yasmin Abdelmajid on the show a few weeks ago and one of the things I really loved about her amongst the many many things is that she talked about you know wildly swinging between different careers and different uh you know qualifications and you know she's obviously been a race car um engineer and she's you know she's now a writer and she's about to do a tv show and she's a presenter and she talked about how maybe in 20 years time I won't be doing any of this at all be doing something completely different and I think having that kind of lust for life is so enriching and so rewarding one of the things I really love about you is that you do have this really serious advocacy to the work that you do as well and it's obviously as I said in your introduction it's informed by your experiences as an as an Asian Australian woman but I would imagine that in the spaces that you're working in, that can also be really infected by that toxic positivity, like a refusal to see the existence of racism, a refusal to see those dynamics. Can we talk a little bit about that and your personal experiences with those things, particularly in this kind of marketing uh, sort of glossy field? I think for a lot of people, it's almost acting like if we don't acknowledge it, it's not happening and it's not real. And oftentimes talking about the things that make you uncomfortable, like racism, a lot of people like to avoid that by saying, oh, I don't want to be negative. I don't want to allow that into my space. I don't want to bring the mood down. But it's not. It's actually confronting things that are really happening. And you can act blind to it and, you know, say everything's fine. Everything's rainbow, sunshine and butterflies. But 
I think that we need to address things that are going on in our lives and things that we're confronting. Because for me, I've run away my entire life from acknowledging my internalised racism. And you know what? It was actually so empowering when I did actually just open myself up to it because now I'm just like, okay, I want to be a better person. I want to grow. I'm open to changing. And it's actually quite liberating rather than feeling like I'm caged up. Mm. Obviously very different um, dynamics, but it's a similar kind of experience with addressing internalised misogyny, which is the only experience I can relate to in terms of that, obviously not experiencing racism as a white person, perpetuating a lot of it, I'm sure. Um, There's a fear, I think, in people who experience oppression in terms of power structures and dynamics that if they if they internalise it and if they pretend that everything's okay, then they won't be harmed by the system. And once you kind of open yourself up to saying, no, I'm going to challenge the system, it is hard. It makes a lot of things a lot harder for you and it makes a lot of people a lot less receptive to having you in those spaces. But it is liberating as well because it means that you are living a truth now that you were kind of denying before, right? Yeah. And I think that's why we oftentimes, you know, when I – speak up about racism, there is so much resistance from non-Asians because they're not used to having these conversations. They're not used to being challenged. They're not used to hearing about experiences that are so different to their own. So initially there's always this kind of defence mechanism that's there. And I just want to encourage people to see things a little bit more deeply. I think people hold very tightly onto their view of the world and because of that, they're not open to listening to our stories. We're not necessarily telling you that you're wrong and that you need to change, but it's just asking for people to listen and be a little bit more empathetic. A lot of the time we're seen as being very quiet, submissive, obedient and polite. So there's an expectation that we're not going to speak up and that we're just going to tolerate a lot of the the racism that we experience. And what I want people to know is particularly when it comes to racism against Asians, it can be very quiet. It can be very insidious and subtle. So a lot of the times people don't realise that it's there and it's often disguised as a joke that we're just meant to laugh off and it's very uncomfortable to sit through those moments where people make these snide remarks and they may not necessarily understand that it's racist or offensive, but that's what contributes to the normalisation of racism against Asians, that people don't see it as being harmful. And we're often put in this position where it's like, why can't you take a joke? Why are you ruining the mood? Like, we're just trying to have some fun. But there are so many stereotypes and a lot of people try to say that they're positive stereotypes, which I don't think makes it any better, but they'll say things like, but there's this belief that you're all smart and you love math and you love science and you like this, like, isn't that a good thing? But, you know, it, it's very limiting. It makes you feel that you need to meet this certain expectation and you need to be this certain type of person or Asian. And if you don't, meet that standard you feel like you're not enough you know you're already challenged in so many other ways in life but feeling like you're letting down your own culture it's a lot of pressure I think. One of the things that I came to your work with was your the series of videos and Instagram stories that you did about the fox eye trend and explaining and breaking down why it's really racist. So let's just backtrack let's go back to the series of stories that you made about an Instagram TV show called The Lady Bunch Show, which I had never heard about until I saw it on your story. So let's talk about that. So The Lady Bunch, from my understanding, is a bunch of influencers. So you've got Rosalia Russian. Um, I don't know their full names. We've got Emma, Elliot and Rebecca. So they make up The Lady Bunch. And they were filming this IGTV segment with Chantal Baker, who's a makeup artist. And in it, you can see that they're talking about the fox eye trend and pulling their eyes back. And as soon as I saw it, it was... Sorry, my dog's barking. He doesn't like the lady bunch either. He does not. I'm going to give him a moment. It's just because my mum's coming through, so I think he's going to bark until she's in the house. So all five of them had posted this video to their Instagram feeds and I went and commented on all of them. And at that point, there were already a lot of comments from people who were telling them that it was wrong. And I felt that I needed to say something because 
it was honestly heartbreaking for me to see that Asians were speaking up against this trend and being so open and vulnerable about what they've been through in terms of their experiences with being bullied, harassed and mocked for their eyes. And they were very generous with sharing their stories and they were just being ignored and it seemed like our voices didn't matter and that these influencers in particular weren't listening. And I don't think that us Asians, particularly here in Australia, are seen as being very vocal about the racism that we experience. So for me to see this and people finally taking a stand, it was empowering, but at the same time, when we're not being heard, it's just so disheartening. I want to be really clear as well to the listeners that they weren't just talking about the fox eye trend. One of them asked another one, what is the fox eye trend? And then all five of them pulled their eyes back uh, to mimic the fox eye trend, which also mimics a, a, you know, an appearance of um, Asian eyes, which we all learned a long time ago is fucking racist. Yeah, a lot of people would know that it's a racially charged gesture. And for us, there's so much sensitivity around it, especially growing up and even till this day, it's something that a lot of people can use against us to make us feel that we don't fit in and that we are different. And for people to now say that this is a trend and if anything, your eyes are being, you know, or for anything, you know, people saying that our eyes are now seen as beautiful and we just have to forget everything that we've gone through in our lives is hard to process that. Mm. What was the response to you coming out and calling them out and then doing your stories? When I had commented on their posts, I think it was there for a good 24 hours and I'd gone back to it and seen that there was no acknowledgement of it at all and they were very much active on their platforms. So as I said in the IGTV, there's no way that they could have acted like they didn't know that people were speaking up against them and trying to bring it to their awareness. So for me we were just being ignored and essentially that just means that we're being silenced and I then received, I think it was a couple of days later, a notification that I think Emma had apologised first and when I say apologised, I mean replied to my Instagram comment and it just didn't feel right to me to accept that apology. It just didn't seem sincere so I wanted to let myself sit with it for a bit and then lo and behold a couple of hours later it was the same thing from Rebecca and then the same thing from Chantal which for me just kind of confirmed that it wasn't sincere and that it was almost like they've spent the past couple of days thinking about how they're going to approach this and how they're going to apologize rather than meaningfully going away and doing their research and wanting to be better, do better and learn. Mm. It's sort of an insincere coordinated response, like a PR move rather than right. actually engaging yeah. with what you'd said. It just seems so strategic. Like on Wednesday at this time I'm going to apologise and then the rest will follow suit and then obviously Elliot and Rosalia were the two that till this day have decided to not acknowledge it or apologise at all. Also, to be clear to listeners, Rosalia Russian is the wife of Nick Russian, who is currently running for the Lord Mayoral position of the city of Melbourne. Yeah, I think that when I'd spoken up against it, it became very clear that Rosalia has been called out for these things in the past. So it was not much of a shock to me at all that she was one of the ones who just didn't want to address this at all and she still hasn't so I think in particular with influencers it's almost as if people are waiting for them to come out and just own it and say yes I'm a racist and then they'll finally believe that they are but honestly their silence and silencing it should be telling us everything that we need to know and especially when you're being called out for racism on more than one occasion which in this case has happened it's enough. It's telling us where they stand in regards to racism if they're just not wanting to basically acknowledge it at all. Mm. 
having a platform and having such a mass following, what does it really mean if you're not really connecting with people and you're not listening to them? Because when they are trying to bring something to your awareness, particularly people of colour, in a way it's almost them trusting that there's a part of you that's open to listening, open to changing and growing. So they kind of believe in you in a way. So when time and time again you're just dismissing them and invalidating their experiences and their emotions, they're going to feel like you're not you're not seeing them, you're not hearing them, you don't care about them. So I think that we yeah, so I think that we need to demand a little bit more of the people that we follow. And of course now we live in a time where we have the decision to follow people who we feel stand for the same things that we mm. do. What about demanding more from the people who work with them? The people who yeah, exactly. provide that, you know, the money in exchange for sponsored content. Yeah, I think absolutely. The brands who work with these influencers who have been called out for problematic behaviour, I think that they need to also have a level of accountability. And as consumers, as they're desired audience we we have the power we can reach out to them and bring these things to their attention and I think if they continue to support these influencers and these figures we also have the decision and the power to no longer support them or align ourselves with them I think a lot of people talk about cancel culture and how it's very problematic but I don't think that should take away from people taking accountability for their actions and a lot of the things that they say and do online. I think, you know, it's not so much them having the power. We also hold that as well to decide what do I really want from this person? You know, why am I looking up to them? We all have choices as consumers, but we also have power as followers. This is the thing is that my observation is that a lot of influencer types enjoy that exclusivity that they experience at having a significant following that they don't really want to engage with and they enjoy feeling better than and that can make a lot of followers it's you know once again it kind of like we're talking about gaslighting on this episode it is an act of gaslighting to make the people who are responsible for your fame feel like they have nothing to do with it and like they are beneath you in some way. But without followers, someone like Rosalia Russian has nothing. They, her privilege exists purely because she's amassed a following of people. So those people have power. It's a weird, toxic kind of mess of um, codependency in these influencer spaces, don't you think? Yeah, and I think that as individuals, we can underestimate our power. We just see them as being on this kind of pedestal and no matter what we say, sometimes we can't get through to them. But collectively, and we've seen it, like we've seen people speaking up about this and we can make a change and, you know, maybe we won't get through to them and we won't get a response from them. But it shows us that in a way they are listening. I mean, the world is changing it's changing in very obvious structural ways, but it's also changing in terms of people power and, and in terms of what people are and are not willing to accept anymore. And if brands, I mean, we still live in a capitalist society, that's not going to change anytime soon. And if they want to move, it's, it, it's like talking, um, it's like the evolution thing. They want to evolve alongside what's happening or they want to remain rooted in the, the world that they're comfortable with, then they're going to get left behind. I just think that it's really excellent that you were one of the most prominent voices to speak out against it because I have to say I have not seen a lot of people speak out against these influences. There are a lot of blue ticks who are being pretty silent about it and it's very noticeable who's not talking. I think there's a fear with a lot of people to speak up against these things and I think you need to ask yourself why. Why don't you want to speak out against these people? Why don't you want to fight for what you feel is right? And It's funny because when I did my stories on um, the Free Melbourne shitfest and and I'm not going to recap it now, but if you haven't seen my stories and you're listening to this, you can go to my Instagram and look at the influencers highlight. 
and I look at the connections between the Free, Free Melbourne campaign and Nick Russian's campaign to become Lord Mayor um, and all of the problems that are associated, all the incestuous kind of connections between those two groups, that's really just about codifying and cementing power for a small group of people. Um, and also, by the way, Nick Russian was installed by the Liberal Party, so this is definitely political. Oh. It's just something. Ooh, something just dropped just, in my apartment. That was oh, felt very was, ominous. I thought, was, I thought it was a delivery. I was no. like, oh, exciting. No. <laughs> no. Um, I had a lot of people, as you did, contact me privately. Now, the the risk for me is a lot less than it is for you for a number of different structural reasons. You know, there's a lot of fear about going up against people who have positioned themselves as so influential that they could influence your life negatively. Yeah, and I feel like that is part of the reason why I wanted to speak up against these particular influences and the trend, the Fox side trend that they were talking about, because I feel that so many people are scared to speak up against them. And I guess a lot of people who they see as having power over them, that it's almost as though they can scare you into silence and that you don't speak up about it because you're so much what you, sorry, you're so much more worried about the consequences and the fact that they could come after you rather than actually remaining true to yourself and speaking up about the things that you care about. I just don't think that having a voice should come at the cost of people trying to ruin your image and everything that you stand for just because they feel that they're being attacked and they don't, they would rather hold on to their pride and their privilege rather than actually apologize and acknowledge what they've done. Mm. Mm. Well said. Shall we be a couple of go-to gals right now for some little sisters? Why not? I think so. Please note my disclaimer in very big letters that neither I nor Alyssa Ho are doctors counsellors or professionally trained sex therapists. We're just a couple of women with a little thing called life experience who know what women can achieve when we work together. Let Down Girlfriend asks, I've been with my boyfriend for around four years now. We live and both come from a very small town in the UK and it's filled with small town mentality. I'm the weird one around here for vocalising my support for the LGBTQIA community, Black Lives Matter, and for being a feminist, etc. My boyfriend has always been pretty supportive of me expressing my views, and a lot of the time we're pretty well aligned with our beliefs. However, I know that deep down he probably wishes I would just shut the fuck up and stop drawing attention to myself for being the loud, opinionated bitch of the town. After mentally torturing and hating myself for years, I decided it was time to stop editing the shit out of my photos on Instagram and start loving who I actually am, not feeding the fake fake representation beast of tricking women into thinking that Instagram beauty standards are the norm. I was feeling myself in some new underwear and I thought, fuck it, I'm going to post a photo of my real body, unedited. I wrote in the caption how I had fell in the trap of editing for years leading to anxiety of people seeing me in real life, but that this was the end of doing that. I finally love myself and I feel free and feel free to unfollow me if this offends you. I've never had such a positive response in a post ever. Girls messaged me and commented saying how happy they were to see this type of content and proud that I had just embraced myself. It felt liberating as fuck. I didn't consult my boyfriend first. It's my body. And if I can pose in a bikini, what's the difference of some plain black knickers and crop top bra? I was hoping he would be proud and supportive as he knew how much I wanted to break this cycle. But instead, hell has broken loose. He says he doesn't understand why I had to do it, that if he saw another girl do it, then he would just be like, what the fuck? He says it's embarrassing. It looks like I'm attention-seeking and now he will have to suffer the consequences of living in this town and knowing all his friends will have seen it and probably rip him to shreds for it. I couldn't give a shit what his fuckboy mates think. I didn't do it for anyone but me. He also asked why I think I have to be the spokesperson for the, woman of this, for the women of this town. I do understand that the way I am paints a target on both of our backs living where we do, but for him to say those things to me has just thrown me big time. How do I continue a relationship with someone who thinks I'm an embarrassing, attention-seeking burden? He usually worships the ground I walk on, and I love him 90% of the time. He's like a unicorn in this town, but as I evolve, I can see his resistance to grow, and I am feeling like this is just the beginning of a series of these types of arguments. Help. Alyssa, I could see you nodding along as I was reading that out. 
What are your oh thoughts? Oh my gosh. I feel like we're on the same journey, but for me, minus the boyfriend. <laughs> I have I have so many people who are close to me who don't agree with my views and they've labelled me as a social justice warrior and in an insulting way, mind you. And they've told me to tone down on a lot of the things that I've been speaking up about, whether it's feminism or anti-racism. And can, I feel can I just, that... Can I just ask quickly, are those people white or are they also people of colour? Both. Interesting. Yeah. And I think that if this is how he's responding now and this person feels that they've reached a moment where they want to talk about these things because it's empowering and it's freeing and you feel that your voice needs to be heard and people are actually listening, then if you don't want to slow down, I think you need to make it clear to him that this is the path that you want to now take and you don't want to feel like you need to silence yourself and keep these things bottled in to protect his image and how people are going to see him because this is your journey mm. and many of us already care so much about what other people think about us and that consumes us entirely. But to take on that burden for another person as well, I think that's a lot and I just don't feel like that's for them to carry as well. Mm. Yeah, I agree. There's a few things that stick out to me here. Uh, firstly, that congratulations for having this epiphany in yourself and for doing something that, as you described, has made you feel liberated and free. You, you know, this little sister wrote, after mentally torturing and hating myself for years, I decided to, it was time to stop editing my photos and start loving who I am. And it sounds like that is exactly what she started to do. That's, that is revelatory for a lot of women. The, the idea that you, could, that you could present yourself in your natural form and not apologise for it. It sounds small, but it's actually a huge thing. And I think that first and foremost, we need to say that's amazing work that you're doing in yourself and congratulations for that. Secondly, the fact that you were inundated with positive responses from other women shows that you are showing other women that they can do the same thing as well and that that, that is setting off a, a kind of a domino effect of helping to liberate them from those ideas too. Like that's what we need to do. It's the representation thing in all areas that if you see other people doing things, you suddenly find those reserves of courage in yourself to do it yourself um i would say that that is part of what is terrifying your boyfriend you said you know she also wrote that up until now he's worshipped the ground that she's walked on i mean that's probably hyperbolic but he's clearly been very devoted to this artifice that she's presented not just to the world via editing instagram photos but probably the way she's conducted herself in her relationship with him too, that maybe it's only been recently that she's realised that she could start speaking up about these things and, and start getting rid of some of the kind of more oppressive ideas that she has about beauty and herself. And, and part of that is growing up and part of that is being exposed to it in other people, but it's also about finding the confidence. He doesn't like your confidence. That's the problem. He doesn't want a girlfriend who as I said about you before, Alyssa, puts her head above the parapet and calls people out. He wants a nice, sweet, beautiful girl who does what she's told and who makes him feel special and who makes all of his friends think he's got a great girlfriend, she really knows her place. So I would say, as nice as he might be um, to you, you know, when you're, when you're kind of keeping that place, do you want to be, do you want your role to someone, particularly to a fucking guy, to be, I know how to keep my place so that it makes him feel comfortable. Because I don't want that. Do you want that, Alyssa? No, I feel like this is her showing up and saying, this is who I am, this is what I stand for, this is what I want to speak up about. And I think she needs to think more about the people that she's going to inspire and that she has inspired rather than her boyfriend and the mm. people in her town who she feels is going to judge her. Because as human beings... We're allowed to grow and change. And something that is hard to accept with that is that we simply outgrow people and the relationships and things that, you know, we care about, we want to think about whether our values are now aligned. And mm. if you feel that you're evolving and he's playing a very significant part in holding you back and just making sure that that's not happening at all, then I think there needs to be a real conversation as to how and if 
this is going to work, if this is Mm. what she feels is right for her right now in her life. Yeah. I also think we need to reckon with the reality that as you begin your journey of evolution as a woman coming to terms with patriarchy and coming to terms with the ways in which it has oppressed us and begin to kind of unburden yourself of all of those expectations, it makes the pool of men, if you're attracted to men and you want to have relationships with men, it makes the pool of men who are acceptable to you a lot smaller. And that is an unfortunate consequence of it. You know, I see a lot of women writing in, uh, you know, boyfriend-related questions or men-related questions to the podcast and it's always very clear that these men are a lot lower on the evolved rung than the women are. But because because men have gotten away for so long with kind of just the, the bar being so low, what do you do if you're a woman who's attracted to men and you would like to have a relationship with one of them except settle? A lot of women out there are settling. So you do have to kind of have that conversation with yourself about will you settle and just kind of accept that these these arguments will be present or will you just stop having the arguments which will definitely suffocate you or do you say well I'm not going to give my time and my body and my energy to a man if he refuses to evolve alongside me and that's kind of really what it comes down to is that you are evolving and he needs to evolve alongside you and if he refuses then it doesn't matter how nice he is in the town or how much better he is than the rest of the guys that you're surrounded by. He's still below you. He's still not accepting who you are becoming and he's still not interested and curious in that journey and he's not willing to go on it himself. So you may be, as you said, Alyssa, this little sister may be at the point where she has to decide to break away. They've only been together for four years. It's one of the things that I think really... Um, throws a spanner in the works for women having these experiences is this idea of like, well, I've invested four years of time. I've invested four years of time. If I walk away now, I've got to start all over again. But we need to really reframe our thinking as women of what that time is and what that investment is. And do we want to have one relationship with one okay person for the rest of our life where we're constantly arguing with them because they refuse to evolve with us? Or do I want to have a series of relationships with lots of different people who add to my life and the moment they the moment that our paths start to diverge or the moment that they make it they the moment that they make it clear that they're not invested in that journey that I'm on in the way that I'm invested in their journey is the moment that we have to respect, respectfully walk away from each other. Yeah, I want them to see it as you know a beginning rather than an end. You know, if they do choose to walk away, then it's almost ending a relationship with them so that you can start one with yourself because you don't want to have to go through this journey that you've just started where you feel that you need to suppress a lot of the things that are inside of you that you want to talk about and that you want to share and that you want to kind of advocate for. I think that's going to be putting you in a very conflicting situation where they're going to feel that they constantly need to decide, do I talk about it because it's going to help someone or do I not talk about it because that'll make sure that my boyfriend's comfortable and that he's going to be okay with me just staying quiet on these things. Mm. Also, her body doesn't belong to him. The way that he's acting as if somehow she's put herself on display and she's embarrassed him, like, fuck off. It's got nothing to do with him. He should be proud of her for what he's done. He should be proud to have a girlfriend who has inspired other women in this way and he should be, at the very least, asking her questions about it, saying, can you explain to me more your thinking and your experience of hating yourself. Like, I didn't know that you hated yourself. Let's talk more about that. The thing is, one person has to be the first person to speak up and that's how you get other people to lend their voices to the choir is that you have to start singing first. The last thing I'll say about this is that she writes, he also asked why I have to be the spokesperson for the, woman of this, for the women of this town. Like I said before, he should be proud that she's speaking up and that other women are listening. But, you know, again, one person has to be the first person. Um, I I don't think my normal go-to advice is always break up with your stupid boyfriend. But if you don't feel ready quite yet to do that, but you were acknowledging that 
you think that, you know, a series of these arguments may be on the way. I do think that you need to say to him, this is who I am. This is who I'm becoming. I'm going to get a lot bigger than this and I'm going to get a lot louder than this and I'm, I'm happy with how I'm evolving. You can choose to evolve alongside me or we can part ways now. But I'm not going to put myself back into that tiny little box because it makes you feel more comfortable with your standing in this small town. You know, either get in line behind me or get out of the way. And that's what I would say to do. On Different Pages says, Hi, big sisters. I'll try to keep this brief. I'm 26 and I've been with my first boyfriend for three years. It's been great. We've moved cities together, added a fur child to the family, etc. He's seven years older than me and always insisted he'd be happy to wait until I was ready to do the whole house and kids thing. Lately, he's talked increasingly about buying a house and after I told him I wasn't ready, I've just gone back to uni to do a bachelor's and we've got next to no savings, etc., He's gone and contacted a bank to see how much he can loan to buy himself a house. It's time to end things, as we're clearly not at the same life stage. Obviously, this breaks my heart, but it'll be good for both of us. I just don't know how to do it. It's my first relationship, so I've never been through a breakup before. Your episode with Jan Fran was great, and I really loved your mum's breakup philosophy, and I'd like to keep things amicable. He's probably on the decline of how he sees the relationship, but I'm sure my ending things will still be a shock, and I'd like to do it gently. I'd love your advice on how to do it. If you could set the scene, how do I lead up to the moment and what do I say when the time comes? Also, skipping over a bunch of details, we bought a car together last year, which he's been using for work. It's in both of our names and the loan itself has been fully paid off. He's run up the kilometres by driving it for work, meaning the value has decreased significantly. I'd like to be reimbursed half the purchase price rather than the resale value. Do you think that's fair? He earns significantly more than I do, so he has paid more towards the car than I have. So I think he'll argue that he should only pay me back what I've contributed. What do you think is fair and how can I make sure the split of this asset is equitable? Thanks in advance for your advice. Just quickly before I go to you, Alyssa, I'll just say for um, anyone who hasn't listened to that episode with Jan Fran, I shared some advice that my mother gave my brother many, many years ago when he was breaking up with his first girlfriend and she said to him, when you break up with someone, you need to do it with integrity and you need to do it in a way that makes it possible for you to see that person at some point on the street and to look at each other and smile and understand that it was a parting well made, which I think is excellent advice. Alyssa, what do you think about how, I mean, firstly, I'll say like, I love that someone's coming to the hotline and saying, I'm going to break up with a no good Nick boyfriend. How do I do it? How do you think she should do it? Firstly, don't do it through text. (laughs) I don't think she will, but if you feel that he feels the same and it's very clear that they're perhaps both at different stages in their journey, then I'd suggest telling him that you need to meet up to have a conversation about it and, you know, where this is going and what the future would look like. They the Just quickly, they obviously live together because they've got a dog and a car. Oh, they live together. Okay. All right. So, all right. So the truth is he's probably run through the conversation in his head. So he won't be entirely blindsided, you know, once prompted to have a conversation about it. I think it needs to be looked at as more of opening up and getting everything out on the table And I was in a very, I was in a somewhat of a similar situation where I was seeing, talking, I don't know, to someone who was seven plus years older than me. And it became clear that we weren't on the same page and that I still have so much that I want to achieve. And I think much like this listener, you don't want to feel that you need to pick up your pace just to meet someone else at where they're at on their journey. And I was the one who said, we need to talk about it. It's almost like we both knew that a future wasn't there, but we didn't want to have a conversation because we knew that that would inevitably lead to the end of this relationship. So, you know, you don't want to hold on when you know that Mm. there's not much left to do in terms of where this can, can go. It sounds like both of them are in a position right now where they could have that mature and respectful breakup 
and be able to walk away with good feelings towards each other and understand that it wasn't a failed relationship. No relationship that ends is a failure. It's just an ending. But the writing's on the wall and you don't want to, as you said, drag it out so that it becomes incredibly toxic and resentful and full of blame. I also want to acknowledge that breaking up with someone is incredibly painful. It doesn't matter if you understand that you are on different pages or that you'd like to move on. It's a, it's a very, very hard thing to do, particularly if there's still love and care and respect for each other. I mean, the one benefit of letting things become incredibly toxic, which I don't suggest that you do, but the one benefit of it is that you are really just happy to rip the band off and walk away and never speak to them again. Ideally, though, we should end relationships with people where we still have love and respect for them. And as, as my mother said, you know, where we can see them on the street one day and understand that it was a parting well made. I would say that Alyssa's advice is excellent. Schedule a time to have a conversation. He probably is either expecting it or, if not expecting it, may have been thinking about it himself. I mean, he may also, on the other hand, have been trying to convince you how to move in, how to buy a house with him, which is bad. Um, But I would sit down and I would say, I have really appreciated our time together. I love you. You have been the best first person to have a serious relationship with. And I'm so grateful for everything that we've shared together. But I think it's become obvious that we are at different points of our life and you want things that I'm just not quite there yet for. And I'm not going to be there for a number of years. And I would like you to be able to go and experience those things and have them for yourself. And I think that the time for us to to make our to go our separate ways has arrived and I'm doing this with love I'm not doing this because I hate you and I hope that you can understand where I'm coming from and then whatever response he gives you is his response to own you've treated him with respect you've treated the situation with integrity you've honored the relationship and whatever happens from there in terms of how he responds is his choice would you agree yeah I think just going into it and remembering that it is a conversation. So you have to speak to each other. That's probably most important to give him the chance to say what he wants to say as well. Um, You know, in my situation, we simply took turns discussing where we feel we're at in life, what else we feel we have to achieve. And very early on in that conversation, it just became crystal clear that we're at different stages in life and, neither of us were wanting to kind of change where we stood on that and it doesn't mean that you don't love each other or there's no admiration there it just means that sometimes journeys have to end and we can often avoid having these uncomfortable situations because we know that it means having to say goodbye which is always going to be painful it's always going to be difficult but I think it can end amicably based off of who he is as a person but also because they gave each other this safe and open space to really just talk about how they feel and just to be honest with each other. Mm. In terms of the car, there will be some practical things that, some practical hurdles that both of them have to kind of deal with and wrestle with maturely. Um, She mentioned that they have a a pet together. That's going to be something that they need to discuss in terms of who gets to keep the pet. Do they have shared custody of the pet? If you, if you do agree to share ownership of the pet, then you will need to have some kind of ongoing amicable relationship with each other or one of you will have to decide to give up ownership of that pet. So that's going to be a conversation that you need to have and that you may need to get you know, a mediating voice involved with because when you're dealing with an animal, it, it's a lot more complex obviously than a car. Um, I don't feel equipped to have that conversation with you because... I didn't have I didn't share a pet with someone I share a child with someone so legally we have to share that that custody and uh, I'm very happy to do that with my son's dad um the car I think sometimes when we end relationships we just have to accept that there is going to be some financial loss and what you need to do is weigh up whether or not pushing for that for what you think is fair for you to get in terms of money even though I do think that like Technically speaking, and from what you've described, I do think that it is fair for you to be reimbursed for what you've paid for the car, particularly if he's if he's benefited 
from it primarily. You've invested in the car and he's been the one who's primarily benefited, then you need to be paid appropriately. But it just may not happen like that. It may be that in order to keep the peace and in order to keep that um, that amicability that you will need to move forward from each other and also to, to maintain the good memories that you have of the relationship, that you may just have to accept that some of that money is lost. My friend used to call it um, sexu- sexually transmitted debt. I wouldn't stress so much about that right now when you're going into the breakup. I would deal with the emotional side of the breakup first and then flag the car later. I mean, I don't know how much money she's invested into this car. I don't know if it was a new one or a secondhand one. It sounds like maybe it was new. Um, but I think it would be fair for him to give you definitely a portion of that car if he if he plans on keeping it, which obviously he should because he's used it most um, and he's racked up all of the kilometres on it. It's a, it's a delicate thing. There's no, like, handbook for how you do this perfectly. But as long as you maintain your ethics and your integrity throughout, then... As I said earlier, his response is his choice and that's that's his his kind of experience to wrestle with and deal with. Anything else? No, I have nothing for that one. <laughs> this is good advice though. This is good advice for anyone who is wanting to end a relationship and that is to, you know, there are I know there are a lot of women out there listening who would be in a position where they're feeling a little bit so-so about their current relationships, but they're not sure what to do. One of the strongest things I can say is just do not let it get to that incredibly toxic stage because it'll be so much harder to retain anything positive about the experiences together. So, you know, be mature about it. Sit down and have the conversation. That The very, very hardest thing, I think, is the five seconds before you say, I want to break up. Because once you've said it, it's done, it's out, you can't put it back in the bottle and it's actually a a big relief. Let us know how it goes. Dear Big Sisters, despite being a reasonably experienced, educated, self-respecting 30-something total babe of a woman, I fell victim to what I am going to dub the smart man problem. You see, I was in a bit of a low place when a long-term relationship was ending and looking for something new, a romantic connection and intimacy. I accepted the advances of a male friend who I believed was a caring, sensitive, very intelligent, even feminist, yes really, man. He expressed many values in line with feminism that impressed me and seemed to have really thought deeply about his feminist views and integrated them into his life in a way that meant he spoke about them convincingly and fluently. He was a quasi-intellectual and convinced me that he was interested in me for my ideas and my views and opinions. Yes, he really did convince me of this, don't laugh. I would never dream of laughing at you, little sister. When we eventually hooked up, he revealed himself to be quite something other than what I had been led to believe in terms of his feminist values. He made comments like, wow, it was so nice to sleep with you. Most women I'm with cry after sex and you're not very high maintenance like some women are you. He seemed to think he would get away with some pretty shocking sexist comments and behaviour once he had conquered me, while outwardly preaching the best, most progressive values at other times to other people. In a way, it seemed like he was leading a sort of double persona. Outwardly, the picture perfect of kindness. Outwardly, the perfect picture of kindness and an ally to women in feminism, while one-on-one a misogynist asshole of the worst kind. Being smart in this sense got him into bed with me, and from what he revealed, a lot of other women. I am sickened and ashamed that this sort of man exists. His attitudes and behaviour towards women was revealed to be worse than some of the dumbest, most uneducated men I know. This sounds judgmental, I realise, but I hope my point is clear, that intelligence, social and political and cultural capital, etc., do not a palatable or respectful man make. I am now wary of smart men, so-called intellectual men, or even men who appear as allies to women or seem to have feminist values, unfortunately, because of this experience with this vile man. I hope he is a one-off, but I do fear more of his like are out. But I do fear more of his ilk are out there, and they may even have some sort of club where they convene. Thoughts, advice, opinions, very welcome. Thanks from anonymous little sister. Ugh, Alyssa. Uh, 
This seems to feed into that tale that we all know too well, a guy telling you what he thinks or knows you want to hear just to get you into bed and putting on this front of who he wants you to believe he is until the real him shows up. Mm -hmm. There's no harm in having your guard up, but I think many of us have been in situations where a person can wear a mask in a relationship for such a long time and when you find yourself in that situation, um, I think it's important to not internalise any of that shame, regret, guilt or self-hate that this very insecure person wants you to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that is such good advice. I'm so glad I asked you to come on the podcast because you've given consistently bang-on advice all hour. Um, yeah, not internalising that shame because like, to me – I'm very, very suspicious of men who bang on about feminism. I mean, I'm kind of suspicious of a lot of men anyway, which maybe is judgmental and maybe is not fair. I'm sure there are some okay guys out there, but for the large part, I mean, I'm tainted by the fact that I hear so many more stories than most other women would about like horribly abusive behaviour or just really narcissistic personality tendencies that gaslight and undermine and you know, diminish women in order to break them down so that they accept behaviour like this. Um, So, yes, perhaps I'm biased. But for me, I feel like any guy that, as in this guy's case, any guy that is so well-versed in feminism and is so insistent on you understanding just how feminist his values are is an immediate red flag for me. Firstly, men shouldn't be educating women about feminism at all. But secondly show don't tell you know and probably he was showing to some degree except for when he finally as she said conquered her and got her into bed then he started trying to do that undermining um the (coughs) excuse me the negging thing you know where you you offer negative praise so that they so that you create that cycle where her personality and her confidence is sort of slowly chipped away at so that she needs him more and more It's abusive. Yeah, and honestly, I think people can only keep up a front for so long and I genuinely pity them because deep down I think there's a part of them that knows that there are some things that they need to address within themselves and they actually just feel the need to mislead people because they know who they are isn't the best version of themselves that they can be and that perhaps no one will accept them as they are but instead of confronting that and committing to change and wanting to be a better person, they feel that the best thing that they can do is create this version of themselves that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame that people can choose to create this connection with people via deception and lies. Mm. I think it's also really important that we acknowledge that there would be some grief associated with what she's feeling here as, as there is with all of us who feel like we've had We've been tricked in some way because what she's been attracted to and the person who she's been uh, sort of invited to develop feelings for is a lie. And when you realise that the person that you – when you realise that that's happened to you, it doesn't make that person any less real in your mind or in your heart. It just means that you have to confront the fact that you've been tricked and that that they are a construct rather than something that you can actually – move forward with and have an experience with and there is grief associated with that I feel like I've been in those situations before where I've I've had to you know I've I've had people I thought I knew and I thought I had intimate trust with turn out to be very different and deliberately so and it does cause you to doubt your own instincts and and to to feel like you know when anyone who's asked that question well what was real what if it was real automatically goes into the next situation feeling like they can't trust their gut. And that's a that's a, a deliberate harm that is done to us, you know. And maybe women do that to men too, I don't know. I've never heard those stories, but I'm not saying it's impossible. But there is definitely something really underhanded and uh, like toxic and poisonous about anyone using, you know, the – using a – using a movement like feminism or perhaps you've experienced it as well with like woke white men, I don't know. Have you? Have you had woke white men try and, you know, 
demonstrate to you that they get it better than anyone else? Yeah, I feel like I've had a lot of that recently and it's tricky because I, I am very suspicious. My guard is up because I kind of think to myself, is this what you really stand for or are you just telling me what you think I want to hear? I want to know that this is, you know, it's coming from a genuine place. So understandably, I question it a lot because it's them kind of taking something that they know that you're passionate about and all of a sudden it means so much to them. But through life, realistically, how much do they believe in that? How much are they going to practice these things? So, yeah. The problem is that anytime we kind of open ourselves up to anybody, we're taking a leap of faith. And it's not, we're not foolish for taking that, that leap. We didn't miss the signs. You know, we shouldn't blame ourselves. I, I really love what you said before about not internalizing any of that shame. This is not her fault for having been subjected to this behavior. It's a beautiful thing to take a leap of faith and to open yourself up to intimacy and love. And it's kind of like what we were saying in that middle question how they choose to, how people choose to respond to that is their choice and their behavior has to be owned by them. The fact that there are people out there who can respond to, who will try and trap people into a situation where they do open up only to kind of manipulate them and undermine them is purely a reflection on them and their own toxicity. So don't internalize any of that shame. Don't feel foolish. And also as hard as it might be, you know, go forward from this point with caution and take the lessons that you've learned and be more I guess um, ask more questions maybe or listen to your gut more but don't let it close you off to intimacy and don't let it prevent you from taking that leap of faith again in future because then they really are kind of completing that punishment on you because you're the one who will end up missing out. I think we can really hold it against ourselves and it's almost like we need to forgive ourselves to be able to move forward. I'm that person that believes that you shouldn't be too hard on yourself or believing in people and having some hope in them and believing in love. And sometimes you can't control how other people are and how they're going to treat you and you shouldn't want to have to either. You shouldn't tell someone how to love you. Um, I think it's a matter of as soon as someone reveals their true selves and it becomes clear that this version of them isn't someone who you want to keep in your life and hasn't treated you with respect, you have the power. So don't forget that the power is not with them. You have the power to decide whether you stay or whether you leave. But I think a big part of it is just not holding on to any of the shame that Mm. they perhaps want you to feel. Mm. I really love that reminder you know that you have the power so many women forget that and we've been kind of conditioned to forget that or to feel grateful that someone's showing interest or that once the relationship begins it's like the the first question you know the first little sister we've been together for four years now she didn't explicitly say this but I have heard from other women you know I've put in all this time or can I leave because of this and we need to re-establish, as you said, we need to re-establish ownership of our power and we need to start prioritising ourselves and start prioritising the power that we have in making these decisions. One of the things that, I mean, this is good advice for the last little sister, but I think it's good advice for all of us, and I need to do this too. I, I need to, like, practice what I preach. We need to, if we want to embark on a relationship with someone, particularly if we are interested in relationships with cis men, I think we need to, right from the get-go, establish with ourselves what our boundaries are for treatment. Establish with ourselves what we will and won't tolerate. And really commit to ourselves, it's not always going to be easy to do, but really commit to ourselves that the first moment that those boundaries are transgressed, we might not have to walk away straight away, but we, we need to have the conversation and say, I told you, tell them at the outset what your boundaries are. And if they transgress and you say, I told you what my boundaries are and you transgressed them and you might get an ex- a second chance, if that's for individuals to decide. But maybe we also just say, you make it clear right from the beginning that if you step over those boundaries, that's it, I'm walking away. Because it's so easy to be slowly kind of, it's like winding up a fishing rod, you know. It's so easy to be slowly drawn in and wound tighter and tighter until you can't, you feel like there's no way for you to get out. 
But the, but if we just say right from the beginning, this is the limit and the moment you cross my limit, you're out, you're done and stick to it. Hard to do but something that is like one step towards owning that power as you say. To anyone out there who has experienced this kind of gaslighting or this deliberate undermining, feel the grief. You're allowed to feel the grief. As Alyssa says, don't internalise that shame. That is not your shame to own. That's their shame. And move forward with the lessons that you've learned but maintaining that faith, I suppose, because everything is a leap of faith and don't let them take that away from us. You've been listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering advice on life, love and all the things that matter, hosted by me, Clementine Ford. My guest this week has been Alyssa Ho of Alyssa Ho Writings. She is a beautiful writer, an advocate, an activist. Thank you so much, Alyssa. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the hotline. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that I was able to give some pretty good advice to all of your wonderful listeners. You gave excellent advice. Where can people who love what you've had to say, which will be everyone, where can they find you? Give me your details. I, yeah, I, I want to continue posting things on my Alyssa Ho Writings Instagram. I think that a lot of people are ready to have these conversations and they're ready to listen. So I think that that's the best, that is the best place where I can connect with people. And if everyone just wants to keep their eyes peeled because I'm writing an article soon for a publication here in Australia. So that is on the Fox Eye trend because I felt that there was a lot of coverage on it um, from the United States. And I just felt that particularly here in the media landscape, it wasn't addressed and a lot of people weren't writing on it. So hopefully I can have a voice and get people to understand a little bit more about the Fox Eye trend and why there's so much resistance from it and people can go to your instagram as well and they can find your fox eye trend uh, highlights the stories that you've done on that they can find that in your highlights and they can also find other highlight reels where you're talking about racism and cultural appropriation and if the first thing you do after listening to this podcast go to Alyssa's page and read those stories because they're really important they're really educational and particularly if you're a white listener we all have to do this work and you've laid it out so easily and beautifully for people to do that and thank you very much for that oh my gosh I'm blushing thank you remember there's no problem too big for the big sister hotline we're here for all the things that your therapist can't solve particularly now that it has to be over zoom so contact us instead the big sister hotline the phone lines are open Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.